Thank you. That really captures a couple of things that we are all in this together, and some are doing the backstroke, <laughs> some are doing this, and some are doing this. And we're all in different places. And it names reality, which I think is one of our prime missions here. And to acknowledge that we all have different realities. So one of my realities, and Joe's, I didn't ask your permission, Joe, to mention this, but we have lived in the same house for over 30 years, which is a blessing and a curse. And it's a house that um, the blessing part is has lots of cubby holes and shelves and closets, and, and we've lived there for more than 30 years. <laughs> so... Um, Clutter is our, we've talked about changing our last names, and we thought we'd be Mr. and Mrs. Clutter, although Joe is much more a declutter kind of guy, so I'm trying to catch up. And going through a lot of things, it's that time in life, it's that phase in life where I really need to go, do I need this? As our children, who are now delivering refrigerators they no longer want and guitars and djembes they're finished with, and oh man, stuff. We have stuff. So I'm going through stuff. You know, there are all sorts of notions about what you do with your stuff. Do you hug it and say, does this bring me joy? Or do you go, um, I haven't touched this in 30 years. <laughs> but I might need it. I could still use it. It's still usable. In fact, now it's antique and it's historic. How can I get rid of it? They don't make them like this anymore. This is metal. They make them out of plastic and paper. This is, well, so I was about to get rid of something small. I'll, I'll show you the, what this is in a minute. Um, I struggle because I have, uh, my parents died when I was still young, and so my connection, in fact, I had to say to my children, I just want you to know your grandmother and grandfather is not just this picture frame and this spoon. They didn't have a relationship with them. And I hold on to things that belong to ancestors longer than perhaps I need them. And this little item, it is um, a man and a woman. And in my brain, trying to make sense of it, I thought, well, that woman who's holding a skull and it's kind of giving side eyes to the man, they're a couple. That was my assumption, and the man has these wild eyes, deep set. He's got this look, and she's, they both have this look. And so I made up a whole story of what it was about. It's clearly oriental. I didn't know what it meant. It interested me because I often say our work that we do here is about the whole arc of life, and we do need to be thinking of loss and death nonstop, because that's what makes us alive and know that life is impermanent. So the skull interested me. That's the thing that made me go, wait, before I give this away, let me find out something about it. So we're talking about this, 
in particular because we're talking about um, this is our last Sunday to be looking at the Unitarian Universalist tradition has six sources of wisdom. We name six sources of wisdom, which is our way of saying infinity, that wisdom comes in many places in many ways. It doesn't just come from a single text. And we name the six in order to kind of name infinity. And so the last one we have not talked about is this wisdom from the world's religions which inspire us in our ethical and spiritual life. And I've preached in August about the first part of these sources names the source, but we should pay attention to this last little tagline about why this particular source, that that actually is where the most interesting information is. So yes, we are not just open to the Bible, but all sacred texts. And we are not just interested in Christianity or Judaism, but know that, that humankind has been trying to sort out what it means to be alive and what it means to be real for as long as there are records, as long as there's evidence, and that we should pay attention to that. So this second part of, of this source is inspires us in our ethical and spiritual life. That's what we should ask of every single piece of wisdom that comes our way. Does this inspire me? Does this inspire our beloved community in an ethical and spiritual way? So uh, I thought of this and thought, well, I want to know more. And then I remembered, so the fun thing about working on the 50th is I've gotten to know your past ministers better through your stories as we look at them and the infamous Bill Gold who helped set all the stones in this place one thing he did is he so he was a Baptist minister is that correct um, and when he found Unita and, and, and was a minister in that tradition and when he found Unitarian Universalism it opened the doorway for many things everything from the uh, embodied notion that you could drink and dance <laughs> and he made sure that that was something that happened up at Hope Unitarian Church to there is wisdom in many sources and he started collecting well and he he was your minister in an age when primarily ministers were still men so he got interested in all of the goddess iconography. So he was really making an effort to be inclusive in terms of who and what is a spiritual leader and what is a spiritual idea, and that it's not just the male gender. And I'm sure if he were alive today, he would help us find all the in-between gender fluid iconographic deities as well. But he was doing something radical in his day, which was lifting up goddesses. And he had this whole collection of goddesses and did this whole set of lectures. So this is my little small Bill Gold moment for you, you all who remember those Bill Gold lectures. Because what I did is tried to look this up. And thank goodness for the internet. 
And I don't know how we're going to end up with a seventh source off in the future when wisdom can be found virtually. But I found a lot of those listservs and groups who talk about, this is a netsuki, which that's what I, I knew this was a netsuki. Let me talk about that. and Let me share with you, because you can't see this little small thing. Would you help pass these out? Here's a bigger picture. You can see my, you two want to help pass things out? That would be great. Sorry to call on you and did I give you enough? So I did a lot of research to figure out, who are these two people? Are they a Japanese couple? I knew it was Chinese or Japanese. Here's what a netsuki is. In Japan, 17th century kimonos and traditional wear didn't have pockets. I now want to shoot every designer that makes women's clothes without pockets, but that's a whole different violent projection on my mind. So their solution was, um, you know, kimonos have a big sash. There was a pouch that they would um, thread a cord up through, and the netsuki, the bottom of this netsuki has um, holes. I'm going to pass this around so that you all can see it. And so, so a cord went up through the waistband, and the netsuki hung outside. So that was kind of the counterweight to the pouch. So then you could have your tobacco and your money and your precious things with you. And they became more and more ornate, more and more um, elaborate. So what I discovered is this is not a married couple. These are, and I actually tried to find online where they have been put together. And I think this is an unusual pairing of two different parts of Japanese various religious traditions. So the man with his big eyes, his name is Daruma, or Bodhidharma. And he's the man who is credited with bringing Buddhist teachings from India into China, where it becomes Chen, where it then travels to Japan and becomes Zen. And he's like, um, he's like all of the traveling teachers in religious traditions. He's like Jesus. He's like the Buddha. He's a rabbi. And he's bringing radical ideas to a new culture. And so there's a fierceness to him. And, and his, if you look up his name, you'll find him in a lot of contemporary Japanese um, imagery and iconography and pop culture as well. He's still a, a revered valued member of Japanese society. And what's interesting is he's supposedly a, uh, a real person. So there, I'm sure with a heroic and uh, layer of you know, religious traditions and how 
how he spawned something all by himself, but he, he was someone who was living, considered a, a, living, a living tradition. He's carrying, uh, and I, you know, I couldn't read it in, I couldn't read what this was, but he has something in his arm. And I thought it was the sack, and then there's a sack at the bottom of their feet that looks like a, one of those cartoon dogs. I still can't read the whole sculpture. Ah, someone who might be able to help me. <laughs> um, he's carrying a... Uh, Whip isn't the right word. I can't think of the right word, but it is in some traditions that value discipline and mind training would hit you, whip you in essence. There are still Zen traditions where if you start slouching or quit paying attention, the teacher will come along and kind of hit you. The old the old uh, model of a piano teacher, you know, who would wrap you on the knuckles if you weren't practicing right or... There, there was a sense of physicality that this notion of, of spirituality and religion has an embodied spiritual, uh, embodied work to it, and uh, sometimes we need a physical shove to change our own way of thinking. So, and it was also convenient because it got rid of flies, and you know, it had all those practical. Re- it, it's embedded in the culture of India and then Japan. I mean, China and the Japan. But that's what it is. He's carrying a whip of fierceness, of pay attention now. And that's what he represents. He represents this fierceness and that waking up is vital and critical. And if you don't take it seriously and if you're doing it half-heartedly, you're doing it wrong. Get with the program now. So he's next to what I consider sort of a side-glancing woman with a skull. Hey, you're going to die. Did you know that? She's Ben Zaten, shortened to Benton. And she is the fifth of these seven lucky gods that also come from India. If we think religion is discreet, and that we Unitarian Universalists didn't bring ideas from many places. Every religion is an evolution, a flowing of a river, one spilling into another. And so this Japanese icon started in India as their river goddess. And then she entered Japan about the 7th and 8th century. She often plays a lute. And just like that uh, reading that Anne read, let me explain all of the ways in Japan now she stands for water. She's the bestower of language and letters. She's the goddess of wealth and good fortune. She's the patroness of music. She's the patroness of poetry and learning and art. But she's also seen as defender of the nation. And there are multi-armed versions of her in the Hindu tradition where she's carrying a lot of weapons. But as someone who has worked in the arts and our American response to the arts is you need warriors to say the arts are important. 
don't give up. She's the protector of Buddhist law. So back to swimming on the other side. She actually is the goddess of all things that flow. All things that flow. So she does not exist except in people's hearts and minds. Which in many ways is just as good as existing in my book. You humanists, we have to have myth and things to which to aspire in the arts. She's often seen playing a lute or a, I'm actually not sure how you pronounce the Japanese, biwa, B-I-W-A, biwa, biwa, anyone know? And in India, she often has a skull necklace. So connected to life, connected to death. And so there's something around her neck. Not this. It's a snake. She's connected to snakes. All things that flow, that looks like a river. So I've said this to you before. The the struggle with our command that we be open to all religious traditions is being a religious an iconographic tourist. I don't know enough to really say what that Netsuki means deeply. And we are a tradition that has let go of many, um, as you can see, icons. We don't have religious icons in our sanctuary or our church at all, except for our memorial tree representing nature. So we've thrown away the iconography, and then at the same time we're saying, you better learn and study and understand iconography. You better understand what other cultures have to say to us. Welcome to our world. It's always a paradox. There is no simple answer. But for me, the experience of, so I will hold on to this Netsuki. It doesn't take up a lot of space in our clutter. I'll find a spot, I promise. Um, But my misread of it reminds me that this is what happens the minute we interact with any other human being. I make assumptions about what you're wearing and what your fa- how your face reads. And so our call to pay attention to this source of world religions is to be humble and open-hearted. What may sound totally wacky may actually speak in a very deep way once you understand the cultural surroundings of that particular idea. And I think we need to be wary because we often treat Christianity and other traditions that are in our city in this way of, oh, that doesn't make any sense, and we're dismissive. When there is something deep that someone holds on to that needs to know that life is a river or that someone may sacrifice 
for you or that you may sacrifice for others. See where I'm saying? So we have to make this, um, always ask, is this an ethical and spiritual piece of information that I'm getting? Is this what I'm learning from another tradition or another tribe? Ethical and spiritual. So I think those boil down for, to us for, as Unitarian Universalists is, is this real? And by real, I mean, does this name experiences that you've had or that others have described, even though it may not be a real person or a scientific fact, or it may be, does it resonate in what it means to be a human being trying to live in community and eke out your own existence? We're always doing that both and. I stand here because I'm an individual. I have a life, and I can't do it by myself. I have to do it in beloved community. And the other thing I like about studying the uh, Netsuki is part of the work of studying other religious traditions is finding the universality in them, that everyone is always working out the same, what it means to be human, what it means to do it in your own culture. And when we step into another's culture, we find, oh, in many ways they're just like me. And we have to tread carefully and not make assumptions and ask questions. So for me, all of our six sources are always about remaining curious and never assuming that we have the answers. We cannot have all the answers. But if the answer you get back from someone excludes what it means to be ethical or spiritual, if it excludes love, if it excludes justice, if it excludes one group over another, that's, that's our toughest one. We are busy creating community here, and we have to be hope, open-hearted to every other community. So if there's not room for paradox in whatever tradition you're looking into, pay attention to that. When it says, oh, we have all the answers. Really. So as always, I feel like I'm on this journey with you, and I appreciate all the times you come up and say, well, that rang true for me, except that's not my experience. This is what I know. And that's what we do for each other, and that's why we look at six different sources so that we remain curious, loving, and humble. May it be so.